Welcome to the Experimental Aircraft Channel podcast and video podcast series, where we talk with our guests about experimental, light sport, and ultralight aviation. We are just getting started with this, so if the audio isn't 100% just yet, bear with us. Perfection is coming. Let's jump right into the interview. Thank you to our sponsors, Airworks, Acme Aero, Kit Plane Parts, Edge Performance Engines, and Viking Aircraft Engines. And today we are talking to Crichton King of Grip Lock Ties, most widely known for. He's done many other things in his life, but uh, welcome, Crichton. So just to start off with uh, being that Grip Lock Ties uh, is such a popular thing now, I want to know how, how did that come to be like how did you come up with that idea and then how did you get that into um you know execution into where it is now a product well the fun thing about grip lock ties is it's uh it's an airplane story because i was working on my little race airplane and um trying to figure out cylinder head temps and get it to cool right so i got a a four channel cht and i was running the cht wires down from the engine down to the along the engine mount and um, I had, I wanted to pad the engine mount from the wires because everyone knows you don't put regular wires and regular zip ties on a, uh, on an engine mount cause it'll cut through the engine mount. So, cause that happened when we first got our tri-pacer back in 86, we had to repair the engine mount because of a zip tie. So, hmm. uh, and it was cracked, but uh, the two things we had to replace the tube. But so I was working on my airplane and I ran out of orange electrical tape my airplane's orange and uh so i thought ah crap i'll run over to lowe's which is right there grab something to eat and um walked there into lowe's and they were out of orange electrical tape and i asked the guy and he goes you know you gotta go to the other place for the orange electrical tape so besides at lowe's right and uh so i said well uh now just give me your rubber line zip ties your cushion zip ties and he goes ah they're my zip ties and i went over there and they didn't have rubber lined cushion zip ties. And the guy came back around. I said, well, do you have these? He looked on his app on his phone and, and uh, looked on Amazon. I looked at different places and it was strange, you know, rubber lined zip ties. So I got some black electrical tape and went out there and I wrapped electrical tape around the engine mount. And then I ran the wires and put a regular zip tie on it. And then I wrapped the, the wires with electrical tape and then put the zip tie over it to pad everything. I thought they should just make a padded zip tie. Why don't they make, you know, this where the the rubbers on there? And right. uh, I looked around. I looked at I looked at uh, some patents. I looked at all the stores. I looked at Granger, and I thought maybe this is something, you know. And uh, I talked to a few guys about it, and uh, I didn't have the funds, the time to really do it. And I didn't had never made anything injection molded. I didn't know what I was doing. So I made a uh, a sample here in my shop. Um, I took a regular zip tie and I cut with a Dremel tool, a little divot in there and one on the other side. And then I took some RTV and I squoze it in there <laughs> and, uh, and I let it sit up. And then when I tried to put it together, um, it didn't work because all the rubber came off. So mm. you've got to have, I don't know if you can see it there, you've got to have these slots in there so that the rubber will go through it. Mm. So, gotcha. So it was harder than I, I, I wish, I almost wish I could have just bought some there that day. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
Well, you went to the store to get something, couldn't find it. And then a year or yeah. two later, you know, you're deep into this mess, huh? Yeah, but I love it. You know, it's, it's fun to build something that's really taken off. And the aviation market is really my primary market. You know, I developed it for my airplane, but I was involved in off-road racing for years for Max's Tire Company. And so I've been around zip ties forever. You know, um, you use zip ties to keep roll bar padding from moving around on your roll bar. Sure. And you use a whole bunch of zip ties and still moves around. And one of our first prototypes actually put on Jeremy McGrath's race truck. And uh, with one zip, with one grip lock tie, it didn't move anymore for the rest of the season. So I thought, hey, we're really onto something. Um, we, I was at Oshkosh. It was about one o'clock in the morning. I was hanging out with my friend uh, Mark Patey and his wife Susie. And my kids and wife were asleep in the motorhome. And uh, we were talking about, you know, maybe I didn't want to do the uh, on the road thing all the time for Max's tires anymore. And, and uh, I said, ah, I got this idea. And um, let me tell it to you. And so I went and grabbed a zip tie and I showed it to Mark and uh, sitting on my little razor at the time. He goes, that's brilliant. I want in. How much can I own? And uh, I went, oh, cool. So we went over and we woke up Mike and uh, we sat till chit chat until like three o'clock in the morning coming up with ideas. And, uh, you know, we got back to Utah, put together a deal with their company that they were doing at the time, Prodigy Engineering. And, um, we were going for it. And uh, then they sold that company and we separated it out and we created our own, you know, independent grip lock ties and with my partners, Mike and Mark Pavey and a couple other guys and an engineer. And, and uh, man, I had to learn a lot. So I had to learn a lot of uh, stuff. So Cool. Cool. I think it's an awesome product. It's one of those things where you look at it and like, it's just so dirt simple, but makes so much sense at the same time. Right. So yeah, what's I mean, amazing is how many people like, when I was coming up with it, they're like, well, they make those. And I thought, do they? And I kept looking and looking. It's like an ADEL clamp, but it's a lot lighter and cheaper mm -hmm. and easier to use. And it's, but people thought they existed, but they didn't. So yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And I, I definitely think it's an awesome product. That's why I, you know, I wanted to, uh, to work with you on that and uh, become a sponsor slash affiliate whatnot to get the, the word out about it. Cause it is an awesome product. Um, yeah, it's been great. People have been uh, uh, placing orders for um, the product. These are like some shipping receipts. This is your pile of stuff. So <laughs> okay. they use the, uh, they order grip lock ties on griplockties.com. They use the offer code experimental. And then um, that helps you out, helps them out because they get free shipping and uh, cool, helps cool. contribute to your Yeah, but there's, a, there's a lot of different uses for you, not just aviation. You know, like I, I think I brought up an idea with you too about um, the automation world because mm -hmm. uh, the thing about you know when you're wiring something up and you're running so many wires back and forth you forget one or two then you have to cut all those zip ties mm -hmm. off versus this you can just pull a little tang and loosen it up a little bit and slide a wire through and then you know yeah. up again and i don't know how many times i've rewired automation machines several times back in my day and there's probably you know a couple dozen uh zip ties cut off and on the ground because of that mm -hmm. so anyway yeah, usually when guys are like building a product, like uh, a project, like a race car or an airplane, you know, when you're almost done, when the entire floorboards are covered with cutoff zip ties. That's right. Because you, you run a wire and then you run another one and then there's another one. So you end up cutting them all off. So um, the release tab on there is, uh, it's great because now you can open it back up. So 
and I didn't originally make them to be releasable. Um, but the more you look into zip ties, it's like, man, why aren't they releasable? And these, these zip tie, grip lock ties take a lot more, they're a lot more expensive to make the regular zip ties. Sure, sure. The processes, the materials, the UV protection, the higher temperature range. Um, so making them releasable just really increases that value. It, um, it's amazing how many people love the idea of it not being a single use plastic, which, which wasn't my goal, but you can really see where people use it for a lot of things. Like my dad used it to close the door for his chicken coop or um, now it's, it's not just a zip tie. It holds your extension cords and it holds your chicken coop. And it, um, I well, like using them for holding tubes in place before I weld them. So. Yeah. Well, I did a little spoof video not too long ago. I don't know if you remember or not um, when it, when I first became aware of it and it's like the old sayings of um, duct tape and bailing wire. And it's like, yeah. now you can add duct tape, bailing wire and grip lock ties because it's, it's almost that kind of handiness that you just keep it in your toolbox or something or in your truck and you know, you got a situation and boom, you got another extra hands holding something. Yeah. I was, uh, I was thinking about that the other day. So if you think of innovation and fastening through the years, I mean, it used to be like, what you, you made rope out of, out of tree bark and then, you know, then they made better rope and then they started, the farmers had baling wire to hold the, the bales together. So everything was baling wire and then duct tape. And then, you know, that was baling wires, late 1800s, duct tape was in the forties, 1958 zip ties. And then after zip ties and people went to the moon and computers are invented, iPhones, um, more airplanes. And then at the pinnacle of all innovation, grip lock ties. It's just uh, 60 years later from the original zip tie. So is that how long it's been? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 1958 was the first zip tie patent. So mine cool. was 2018. Cool. Cool. Well, you got somebody here that uh, is definitely behind you on that. Let, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about airplanes, uh, actual airplanes, for a minute. And yeah. that is the and I've been pronouncing this wrong my entire life that I've I mean I've known about this aircraft, but it's actually pronounced Cassett, according to yeah. you, uh, or well, the Cassett as I grew up. Told me so. Okay, the ca the Cassett aircraft, which is a, a mid wing or low wing. It's a mid wing, is it not? A mid wing mid-wing kind of racer so tell me about that for a minute and then how huh? you acquired uh the i guess the rights and, and now we're supporting it mm -hmm. so the cassette uh the cassette racer you know you got to go back to 1930s in the 1930s when they were racing in cleveland and they had different classes and the midget class was um 190 cubic inch class and so you had guys racing there from you know the steve whitman's and a lot of different uh guys back then and the problem was is they were all taking off a line of breasts on a on the grass field and they kept making the wings smaller and smaller and smaller and now you've got and they were adding controllable pitch props and retractable landing gear and everything to win and they were getting really dangerous you know they're landing 140 150 miles an hour on the grass on a big grass field um so they got together and they said you know let's fix this class before nobody's left um so <laughs> I think as the story goes at the time, the, the wings were about 33 square feet. So they said, let's double it. So it's 66 square feet. And they said, fixed pitch prop, fixed landing gear, 190 cubic inch engine. And they started working on this new class and then World War II happened. Um, 
so after World War II, they got back together. And um, really, the only way you could legally build an airplane at the time was for yourself. Um, you now, before EAA came around, was to build a racer. So there were a lot of airplanes built in 47 to race in the Goodyear uh, racing class. So it was Goodyear, Goodyear class. So some of the airplanes were converted. Um, one of Steve Whitman's 1930s racer was converted to race in the, uh, in the midget class, the Formula One class, Goodyear class, whatever you want to call it. So, so just to back up a second, back yep. then, the only way that you could personally build your own airplane is if it was going to become a racing plane. Yep. And unless you were Orville and Wilbur Wright, I guess, and making an airplane from scratch. Well, you know, if you look back, you know, Orville and Wilbur, when they built theirs, and then it was, it's really kind of a free for all, you know, despite all the patent stuff, you know, back in the teens and, and the twenties. And then, you know, the CAA came around um, and started really enforcing some stuff. You know, they had all the World War One surplus jennies and the guys who barnstormers. And like, if you've watched the movie, Walt, the great Waldo Pepper, like sure. they showed at Oshkosh last year, um, you know, the CAA came around, started enforcing things and they started um, clamping down on people building their own airplanes and uh, there's a push for certification through the 30s, and uh, there was there was a time when you build a prototype for production, you certified that, or you really didn't build an airplane much. So, um, you know, in the late 40s, if you wanted to build your own airplane, um, it was basically for racing. So Formula One grew. Um, it was a, I think, uh, 15 airplanes were built in like six months and raced in Cleveland. And the next year there was more, so in 48. And then in 49, there was even more and they had the, uh, the accident in Cleveland um, and that canceled racing, so. So what but, engines were they using then and then what are you using now or is it the same? So the, um, the rule at the time was the 190 cubic inch engine. So you could run a Continental, you run a Lycoming, you could run a, um, a Franklin, but eventually the Continental became really the rule. That's what everybody was running. Um, later they changed it from the 190 cubic inch C90s to the O200s when Continental quit making the C90s says in the late 60s. Um, so guys were building their own airplanes for the 50s. Tom Cassett um, designed his own airplane, built it, raced it. Um, it was number 11. Uh, he raced that airplane against Steve Whitman, against all the guys back then, rivets and um, in 1960, um, EAA, um, you know, EAA was huge at you know, making it so everybody could build an airplane. It was awesome. In 1960, um, Paul Pobrezny said, hey, let's have a contest. Let's see who can, you know, put out plans and have a new design and let's, let's get people building more and more airplanes. So they weren't just stits and tailwinds. And uh, Tom Cassett drew up three pages of plans. They were, uh, they were about this good. All right, this is something else, but okay. Um, so he three three pages of plans, boom, and people started building cassettes. They were the uh, easiest to build because they had plans. Really, no, there weren't a lot of other plans. The Midget Mustang was came out about the same time. It was also built for uh, racing. The Taylor Titch is built about the same rules. Um, and and what is the just for clarification? What is the construction method used? So the cassette would be considered conventional construction-ish. So it's welded steel tube fuselage. 
and then it has a, a wood wing and um, kind of a Hershey bar wood wing is a traditional wing. Okay. And, um, there have been uh, the, the, some kits built through the years through the Miami project, build a bunch and uh, Eve Hansen eventually um, Eve Hansen had it. And unfortunately he died a few years back and um, I acquired it from his widow and um, and there's been some some movement here and there between then and now but you know i consider myself really a custodian of the design and uh i thought at a time hey i can build cassette kits and make money this would be great but you know it's uh not everybody builds wants a 200 mile an hour single seat airplane so that's really efficient though on, a, on roughly 100 horsepower is a really modified continental o200 to get that kind of performance now here's the fun thing about Formula One. So Formula One has basically had the same rule book, you know, since since the 40s in the 60s. They said it's 0200, and it's about the same rules. And here's the th fun thing: is we turn that 4,000 RPM, sometimes more, and that's how we get them to go so fast. Okay. And we do that by just putting a smaller propeller on it. They have stock compression, um, stock cam grinds. Uh, it's always been stock rods and stock valves and all that kind of stuff. So it's really, you know, you could, uh, a lot of guys have done it. They take like, like a mid-time engine out of a Cessna 150, advance the timing a little bit on the mags, throw a smaller prop on it, race it. So, and uh, with the cassette, it's, it's a great way to do that. You know, in, in like the automotive or motorcycle world, it doesn't sound like anything to turn 4,000 RPM, but in on right. that engine, it's literally almost 1,000 RPM more than it was intended uh, red wall, mm -hmm. uh, red line, correct? Right. I like to consider red, red lines as arbitrary. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you're not going to get 2,000 hours out of it. Yeah, so who cares? Like, <laughs> how many guys really wear out their 2,000-hour engines? Not many. You know, um, you may do it eventually, but hey, why why hold back the fun to save 500 hours? So Yeah. And well, what kind of wear have you seen at that RPM? Is it more of the, the top end than the lower end? The, the crank isn't the issue. It's more of the, the cylinders and heads and stuff like that? Well, you know, cooling is always the issue. Okay. Um, you know, you, cooling is a lot of drag. So you don't want to put big giant intakes and a big giant exit. And uh, so you make it smaller and you do it just enough. Um, and the thing is we run 4,000 RPM at the race, but when I fly it around at home, I put on my bigger prop and, uh, it, it won't turn that with the bigger prop. So, sure. you know, yeah, most of these airplanes that these race airplanes that get flown, like, uh, Justin Philipson flies his all the time. I fly mine you know, all the time. Um, you know, we put on a prop on it. Maybe we turn 3,200. So regularly, um, right. So you're only racing at 4,000 RPM, like 10 minutes at a time. Sure. And that's sure. only like six times at Reno. So I mean, why you have like two hours a year at 4,000 RPM. So yeah, it's fine. Cool. So you, you're offering essentially the, the plans and tech support for it now. And, and is it still just yeah. three sheets of plans? Or have you expanded upon that with an assembly manual or what, what is included now with uh, like a set uh, support? So this is, um, Cassette, yeah, yeah. So, uh, this is this is my set of plans I keep around for answering questions. So okay. you can kind of take a look there. So gotcha. starts off. There's about there's about forty pages of plans. So oh, nice. You know, so you've got a lot of detail. Yeah, there's all kinds of detail. Like 
Here's, here's your land. Here's what is this? Oh, rudder pedals and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you've got ribs. They're all full size. Um, it's really a very simple airplane. Like if you're going to build an airplane from scratch, bam, the cast is like the easiest one to do. The thing because it's it's small. Like you can buy all the steel for the airplane and build it. It's like thousand dollars. Yeah, and then you just gas weld it. Yeah, gas weld or TIG, you know, right. gas welding or TIG, they're basically the same. Just one needs 220. Um, it's cheaper to TIG weld than it is to gas weld. <coughs> but the equipment is a little bit more to start off with. Um, and but, what, man, what are the I'm wings? Uh, is it like spruce or what, what is it used for the wings? So the wings are built with uh, built-up uh, ribs. So like if a lot of people may see like the legal eagle wing, you know, they, they, or a cub wing where the, uh, the ribs are built up with, uh, with sticks. Okay. So, there we go. So this is the, this is what the rib is. Okay. You see that? Yep. All right. And this is a so symmetrical, ribs, symmetrical wing? Nope, it's not. See, here's the, here's the center line right here. Okay. Okay. So it's a, it's an airfoil that Tom Cassett drew up. So it's kind of a 64 series ish. Um, and in the spar, you have the spar starts out really thick and then gets thinner and, but you use the same, um, the same plan. The, the plans come with a full size rib. So this one's shrunk down, but. And this is uh, Hershey bar. So the inboard and outboard are all the same ribs, correct? Right. For the most yeah, you, build, you only have one size rib for the whole thing. So. But if you can also build a uh, taper wing if you want. And a taper wing is great because a taper wing can be built really simply. Because in a taper wing, it has all the ribs are full size in the plans. Okay. So, um, and what do, you, what do you sell a set of plans for today? So plans go for two ninety five, but they're not really on my website. That, I mean, shoot me an email or something. So um, this is the... Well, I'm just thinking like right now, if somebody's looking for something to do at home and they want to be a scratch builder or a plans builder, there's a set of plans. You can order all of your steel for around a grand, order yeah. some wood. You, you can be in, in business as far as uh, building your kit from scratch right now. Yeah. So you see that? Yeah. All right. So these are full-size ribs for the taper wing and you just cut them out of plywood. Okay. Basically, you just put this on a plywood and get a saber saw. Go for it. Cool. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, if they, uh, they shoot me an email at info, uh, info at comcast.net. Those my Cassit stuff. Excellent. Yeah. So, it's a, you know, a lot of people are building them or they find projects or, um, one of the main things I do with the Cassit is just provide support and help guys finish their projects and they find. Um, I build uh, build cowlings. I build cowlings and, and engine mounts mostly um, because then you can uh, um, finish a project. So there are a lot of unfinished projects. So cowlings are, are a difficult part. So I'd say, yeah, you know, buy a cowling from me um, and uh, call me, you know, get a set of plans and it helps me kind of. Uh, cover some of the time on the phone. So I love to talk cassettes. So it's really sure. so where, where do you have, do you have a good source for engines for like the O200? Do you have a, like a list of scrap yards or whatnot, or just tell people to look on barnstormers for 
for aircraft that have, you know, mm -hmm. mid or low time engines or how, how does that? So O200s are very plentiful because they're on all the Cessna 150s. It's an engine that's going to be around a long time. Um, you know, it's supported by Continental. You can call it Continental and buy a brand new one if you want. Um, and it's about the same price as 912, you know. Um, but you can also build one up if you want. You know, you can find some parts on eBay and where you can call Western Skyways or you can um, look at uh, all the automotive, all of the, um, not automotive, but the airplane scrap yards. Salvage yards, yeah. Yeah, Barnstormers, Facebook. Um, if you're looking for one, come to our Facebook page. We have Casted Aircraft Facebook page and post up there. Um, Formula One is a great organization as well to keep track of stuff. So we're always looking for new members. And we, we, we're the ones that internationally sanction uh, Formula One air racing and the rules. And we are kind of um, trying to keep Formula One racing pure. And so it's the only class where you can look at a rule book, you can look at the at the results from 1978 and go, bam, I want to beat that guy yeah. through the same rules. Like you can't do that with a sport class where, you know, nowadays it's, it's just, Hey, put bigger turbos and more cylinders and more nitrous. And that's how you win. It's not arrow. Well, formula one is it's the same rule book. Like you want to beat John Sharp, you know, the guy that set the all-time record of 42 seconds, 42.3 seconds at Reno. Well, you got the same rule book. So can you build an airplane faster than him? Yeah. So you want right. to beat John Parker? You want to be the first guy that ever did 250 at Reno? Yeah. Well, he's, he died, unfortunately. And his airplane's stuck in a museum. But if you want to beat him, you can, you can race against him because you have the same rule book. So that's why Formula One's the coolest. That is, that is pretty cool. Yeah. It's like yeah. legendary uh, mm -hmm. records and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Formula One is the race class. It really is. And uh, they, they're great airplanes for racing, great airplanes for messing around. They're not, a Cassidy is not an airplane to put a G3X in and an autopilot and 50 gallons of fuel and try to fly non-stop to Oshkosh. It's not that airplane. So. Yeah. So no low and slow, no low and slow for you in that plane, huh? Yeah. It, uh, it's fast and inexpensive. I love to go out and get my fix with it. Like at the end of the workday, um, and the weather's good, bam, run out to the airport, hop in it, go fly around. It's like, it's like heroin in your arm, man. You know? <laughs> like, and, uh, you know, fill it up for two and a half gallons. So it's a total blast. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Let me roll into another question here for you. Um, so being that we are in the kind of unknown situation right now of on, on lockdown, mm -hmm. uh, I want to say what's the future of aviation because we don't, we don't know that. Obviously, there's a lot of people involved in it and uh, aviation is never going to go away. But how can people stay engaged and keep aviation healthy during these times? What, what are some good ideas for that? Well, um, Luckily, here in the state of Utah, we're not on lockdown. You know, we're uh, essential, you know, something. Um, we can very, very adequately social distance at the airport. So this is true. I recommend that you uh, go to the airport and fly an airplane. So that's the number one thing. Like, if you have an airplane to fly, go out and fly it. So Go out and fly it and bring you your camera with you and share it with the, with the rest of us so we can. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then get in your shop and build stuff. And, um, you know, right now I'm diving back into my cub here in a few days. Um, now that I've figured out what I wanted to do with it. <laughs> what, and, what, which uh, cub do you have? So I've got a uh, home-built super cub my dad built from scratch. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So when, when I was four years old, dad threw me in the back of the Dodge Demon, and we went to Oshkosh, and he figured that he wanted to build a Wagero cubby. And uh, he saved up money and bought the steel and learned how to weld at the local uh, high school with a gas welder. And... Um, you know, he worked his butt off for years, like 60, 80 hours a week, every week. But if he could just do a little bit on the airplane every day, he would say, if I could just paint the head of a screw, then it'll be done. <laughs> wow. So, that's taking it down to the very basic level, huh? Yep. But hey, it's getting so he, something done. That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, we ended up, it took 14 years to build. And uh, I kind of finished it for him when I was uh, about 18 years old and did the test flying. And in the meantime, we bought a tri-pacer and that cub's been a blast, but it, uh, you know, flying from 1990 to now, it, uh, it needed to be rebuilt. So, unfortunately, I dented it without screwing around it um, about a year ago. So, uh oh, with Corey Robin. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, Crosswind got me, and we're taking off on the beach, and it and uh, caught one tire, blew me back into the water, and caught one tire, and it just spun around it flipped over and gotcha was, yeah so, so i'm rebuilding so, it is that also a chrome molly fuselage with a wood wing design so the cub um you know the cassette is wood wing chrome molly fuselage the cub can you can build a wood wing for a cub um but they're chrome, chrome molly still fuselage but my wings are aluminum cool um, but every single rib is dented and oh. so I'm trying to decide what I want to do with all the ribs, whether I... Well, those ribs built similar to the cassette were kind of like, not a stick, but like an angle aluminum or something or... Yeah, it's it's really like stick built with aluminum. Yeah, so, okay. And when Piper built them, they, um, you know, they built those ribs, so they'd slide over the, the spruce spars and they later changed the spars to aluminum. And uh, those ribs are really light. The Piper spar, the Piper ribs are the lightest rib out there. They're lighter than Univer. They're lighter than, than uh, Javron. They're lighter than Carbon Cub. They, but they are more fragile. So, sure. Sure. so I don't know what I'm going to do for sure. I'm thinking of maybe building carbon ribs with a bigger cord. So Cool. Well, that'll be an interesting project. So I don't know. Yeah, you know, once you once you take over the world with grip lock ties and you have some time to go back to yeah. your roots of building aircraft like that, right? Yeah, if I can get if I can get the cub done this year, that'll be great. So um, usually I work on airplanes from about uh, 10, 10 o'clock at night to one in the morning. That's usually my airplane time. So um, might have to adopt that that schedule yeah. here soon myself. Yeah, with the three girls and. Mm-hmm. trying to start a business or is it just when I add I, I say this a lot like I've only been in business for about I don't know a year with Wall Street Aviation mm-hmm. and this is quickly becoming a business but yeah. I've worked for other people my entire life and it's like you're always looking at the time clock sometimes wishing you could take away a couple hours a day here you wish you could add five hours to your day somehow it just mm-hmm. the time goes away and you're enjoying it it's still yeah. work but it's just like man if I could only have five more hours today to get something else done yeah you know, it's, uh, 
you know, so my office is here at my house and then we have a warehouse separately and we are um, probably going to move everything down to uh, be by best tugs, my business partners down there. And that may help because with my office here, the house, um, which is directly above my shop. So I've got a building in the backyard. So this is our, this is the, it's really called the mom cave. So this is for my wife crafting. And so, but right now I have, all of the tables covered with grip lock ties displays shipping out and um, getting those ready. And, you know, I want to come out and work on the airplane. It's like, ah, I just got to do this other thing or send an email. And next thing you know, like I'm working in my office till one o'clock. I didn't get anything done on the airplane. So yeah. I'm really, really going uh, it, to. It's really that struggle because that, that doesn't create any income, right? That's the hobby part of it or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I thank you very much for taking a few minutes out of your day to talk airplanes with yeah, me you bet. and uh, just uh, to keep the conversation going in aviation during this time. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple more suggestions and ways that people can stay engaged, um, you know, maybe order a set of plans from you or, or start yeah. working on something in their shop. Um, again, I'll, I'll, I'll remind people they can order Grip Lock Ties for free shipping using the code experimental on the mm -hmm. Grip Lock Ties website. If you want to just order one package and try it out, order a hundred. They're, yeah. uh, they're pretty cool. Yeah. So it's been great to, uh, to get all those orders, um, with the experimental code and, uh, free shipping for, uh, here in the States. And, um, it's really great to, to be part of somebody's project, you know, and, uh, you know, whether you're running wires, you're holding a tube in place cause you're going to tack weld it with your TIG or whatever. Grip lock ties are, are great. They're also great for holding rudder cables in place when you're going to swedge them. There's just lots of different ways to use grip lock ties. And I really do appreciate everyone's uh, support with my small business. And, um, you know, I'm just a guy trying to build a great product in, in a market where the world is saturated with crappy zip ties. And, uh, I'm just, <laughs> my goal. We're, we're going to build a support group just for, yeah. Yeah. Just for those people. Yeah. I want to eliminate crappy zip ties from the planet so, by making something better and, and make something better in your garage. Like, you know, in your garage, in your basement, wherever you have to do it, you know, build an airplane, work on an airplane, restore an airplane. Um, and just, there's so many great opportunities to, to build stuff. And, and if you can't afford everything right now, if you can't afford building a new Lance Air or buy a new Cirrus or whatever people think they have to do, Build a uh, build a cassette. Build a uh, legal eagle. Build a Zenith seven seven hundred one. Find a project that wasn't finished or seven fifty or. There's plenty uh, of them out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Find a Kit Fox. Um, I don't know. Build something you designed, but read some books. Don't yeah, yeah. Just build it. Just build it. All right. I'll check in with you again soon, Crichton. Thank you very much for meeting with me today again and helping to uh, keep people inspired and engaged in aviation. You bet. Love All it. Right. Airplane's right. my life. <laughs> Talk to you soon. See you. Bye. Thank you for joining us here on the Experimental Aircraft channel for the video podcast and or podcast. These episodes will be available on YouTube as well as all the popular podcast platforms. Thanks for watching or listening. We'll catch you next time.